Uh, welcome back. This is episode two of Murphy and Smith. Sorry, I cut you short there on the intro music. Hey, uh, we're just going to let it go. We'll let it play. It, it's <laughs> our music. This is our licensed, paid for intro song. This is, this is Murphy and Smith, the music. I'm Ryan Murphy. That's Chris Smith. You're, you just heard episode two here. We are no longer in the basement of Middle House. And matter of fact, we're not even together anymore at all. You're in your office at Sheldon, correct? That's right. This is where the interviews happen. And I am in my third floor, tiny little bedroom here on Dunbarton Road. And Mr. Smith, do you want to kind of take us through what we have coming up here on the on the show? Yeah, episode two is exciting. We had a nice week last week after kind of doing our cold opening, just random, random chatter, which we talked for about an hour. And... It was a podcast about nothing, but it ended up being about a lot. And I think it got us to, <laughs> it, I think it got us to this point where it's like, you know what? I, I shared it with some people. I know you share it with some people. I checked the stats. People were downloading it and listening to it. And it, it said we should probably do an episode two and see where this goes. So, and here we are. We, yeah, last episode, we got everyone up to speed about where WSPS was and where it's going. And I had a lot of fun just chatting with you about it. This week, we thought we'd launch our podcast to that next level with doing some interviews. And I don't know if we're ready for this. Like, you know, you are, I might not be. <laughs> we're going to find a out. lot of interviews. And so because we're new to podcasting and because we are trying to build a digital station that helps our, our community build their own shows and hopefully encourages other students and, and community members, faculty, staff to make podcasts as well and follow their ideas and turn it into something. I had a great idea to invite someone who I went to college with who did exactly all of those things. And Frank Rossi and James Baker from In the Huddle, which has been bringing the world NCAA sort of <clears throat> East Region D3 football analysis since about 2008. And, and Ryan, when I say analysis, I mean, you've seen their stuff. It's top notch. Yeah, they, it's really they good. Are, they are doing some in-depth stuff with D3 football. And it's, it's, and they're, they're big. They are, they're everywhere. And they have all the interviews, all the coaches, all the, the fan polls, the, the rankings. Their stuff's good. And I, so I think they'd be great to have on the show. So we have them coming up here in a little bit. I'm very, very excited about that. For those of you who, you know, don't know how we're doing this now, we're just on Zoom. We're on Zoom chatting and, uh, you know, just again to, we talked about it a little bit last time on the podcast about the accessibility of doing something like this. Like we're just sitting here and, and, and chatting on Zoom, which is something that we all have gotten the experience of doing, or most likely have gotten the experience of doing, like it or not, in the last few months. What have you been up to since episode one? What's going on in, in your sports world or, or in your own personal world? Do you have good Thanksgiving? Well, today, today was the first day of online classes. So we're back online and gotten more familiar with Zoom. I only have three classes today, which is kind of nice. So I had the classes today and we had a nice small Thanksgiving on Thursday. So it's been nice. You? Uh, yes. Amazing. Great little week to recharge. Yeah. No kidding. Right. And, and be home and have some great food and there's still leftovers. It was also my, <laughs> it was also my birthday on Thanksgiving. 
which happens every, you know, four or five years. And aside from putting candles in the turkey itself, (laughs) I get to celebrate my two favorite days of the year on one day, which might be, you know, cutting me a little short. (laughs) I could have have both. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, happy, happy belated birthday too. Thank you. Yeah. So we will be back in a moment with yeah, we're uh, gonna go zoom zoom these guys in from the waiting room and we will we will welcome our our first ever guests and first ever guests yeah here on murphy and smith all right we'll be back just after this short break we're kind of going the path of what we think is more of a college style right now with a lot of digital content and doing things like this with a video podcast and audio podcast and just trying to enhance our students understanding of how to develop an idea how to make them and and ryan is our the voice of sps athletics he is he he has his own big following in the in the new england hockey world and he he does play play. he does play by play of all of our yeah of of all of our saint paul's games and a lot of my time has just been spent trying to uh, pump his tires and enhance his, his delivery. <laughs> he does a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so it was, it was pretty logical to, to launch the new SPS, WSPS digitally with, with a podcast. So we, we started ours last week with our own kind of random talking about nothing. And it, we, we had a lot of interest and we said, we got to do episode two. And I said, I have a great idea of how to help us develop our own podcast, but also how to help our students continue to, to build theirs if they have ideas. I said, I got a great friend from college and, and he, James and, <laughs> James and Frank have this amazing podcast called In the Huddle. And I'm a big follower. I've been following you guys for years as a, as a Hobart football fan. So we thought you guys would be perfect at helping us out here. So welcome. Thank you for joining the soon to be renamed Murphy and Smith podcast. We don't have a full name yet. Cool. Rebrand. Um, thank you for, thanks for joining us. Ryan, could you be a Union College fan just for today so we can balance this out a little bit? Of course. Of course. There you go. I like it. <laughs> um, so um, you know, Ryan and I thought of some questions. Ryan, why don't you start and, and get into it with, with these guys? Yeah, I mean, my first question for you guys, I think, is pretty, pretty obvious. So, like, how how did you guys start start your podcast? Like, how did you guys get together and come up with this idea? Um, where did that all come from? I guess I have to take this one, uh, JB. Actually, JB wasn't part of it initially, but uh, he was a bandwagon follower from the start. We'll, we'll call it that. 2008, I was in school back doing a, a master's in law. I, I had got my uh, law school degree back in 2001 from Harvard. So in 2008, when the economy was going downhill, nothing like what we're seeing today, obviously, I decided to go back to school for a year and get my master's in law for development of real property in law. And while I was down there, I was kind of feeling a little left out of the process because you're down in Miami, Florida. There's no Division Three football down there. 
And my friend uh, Eric Wren, who's an RPI guy, so look, here's a union guy who's friends with an RPI guy and later a Hobart guy. If you know anything about Liberty League football, this is like the three-headed monster from hell coming together when you think about all that. But <laughs> we made it work. But Eric and I were like, you know, these podcast things, these are new and exciting. And D3Football.com had just launched their Around the Nation podcast. Keith McMillan and Pat Coleman were doing a great job with that. We're like. Let's give it a go. So we, we focused only on Liberty League football. We figured it was a niche type situation that, hey, there's enough of a following. We saw the message boards were always being dominated by Liberty League folks. So there was some desire for content in that niche. And so we followed that niche and we basically started sort of from scratch, got a, you know interviews here and there. First, we were live taking telephone calls on Blog Talk Radio and whatnot and then i started doing uh, a segment called around the league that all these different radio guys from the the uh, liberty league were sending in their audio clips to sort of give us you know some good foundation for around the league so we would do recaps of all the games of liberty league uh teams and you know somewhere in the 10 to 20 minute range to bring people up to a date so that was popular and the thing that was most popular by far was student athlete interviews and the coaches always were fun and we, we loved them to death but it the student athlete interviews just took the cake to this day it still does and jb was following the show back then so jb pick up from there i guess uh, as to uh, why you wanted to get involved with it i guess well i mean like you said i mean i think the the initial precursor were the were the message boards which was a big thing in the middle 2000s and i, mean, I know they still exist today with reddit and so on and so forth but it was a bigger deal back then and so I, I became aware of the show and i actually i called in to the very first episode to sort of shoot out some stats about the upcoming hobart and rpi football game and, and so i kind of you know I, I was trying to think of a way to to be a contributor of some kind, even if I wasn't necessarily a co-host, and, and Frank's, um, you know, friend and co-host Eric was, was a, was a good, you know, Frank has always been sort of the, you know, the play-by-play, you know, you know, you know he's the he's the, the the straight man in 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 the, in the <laughs> wow. Eric was the kind of the goofball. He was like the former player, you know, the little bit of the the comedy and the, and the so on. And they had a good thing going on there. So initially, when I started to to get involved, I was really more of like the, the statistics guy. Little, you know, they would ask me to do some things behind the scenes, and I'd be happy to do that. And eventually it came to the point where we were sort of, you know, the three of us were kind of all hosting and eventually Eric decided he wanted to pursue some other stuff with work and a, a personal relationship, which now he's married and, and doing very well and very happy for him. So it was kind of a proverbial handing of the torch. And over time, you know, I think what's worked with Frank and, and my relationship is that we we play to each other's strengths. You know, Frank is really great with the technology aspects of the of the podcast, really kind of being the executive producer. Whereas I, you know, I will, you know, contribute in other ways, you know, getting interviews lined up, doing a lot of the statistical analysis, you know, kind of like Frank was saying, and now I'm ironically in Florida. I used to be in California when we got started. A lot of the games that I see would either be online or, or kind of reading box scores and, and trying to come up with, with statistical information from that. So I think in any case, if you're going to do a podcast, it, you know, there, and there's a couple of people involved, you kind of have to know sort of what the roles are and, and try to play to each other's strengths to really make it as strong as possible. Oh, that was that was an awesome answer. I, I I just wonder when I when I listen to you guys, 
do that. And I'm, I'm a fan of some extremely niche things too, high school hockey being one of them. And from the outside in, D3 football, especially Liberty League football, it seems like it's, like you said, like it's a niche. So how do you, I mean, that comes with its, its positives and negatives. So how do you kind of get around the challenges of it being a niche? Because I don't necessarily, you know, when I turn on my, you know, streaming ESPN plus or whatever it is, like I'm not, I don't see a ton of D3 football. So how do you guys get around that? Well, I think, you know, to Frank's point early on, it was he really, you know, found an opportunity with the around the league, sort of our own mini sort of sports center highlight reel with music. And then over time, I began to sort of, you know, push us in the direction of, well, hey, maybe we can look at some other stuff in the East region. And just sort of by happenstance, there was a few things like just being located in Los Angeles. I was able to meet and start a relationship with Dr. Tony Strickland, who uh, teaches at the UCLA Medical School. I think it's called the Geffen School of Medicine. He's the CEO of the what used to be called the Sports Concussion Institute. And, and about 10 years ago, that was a really big issue in football. So we brought him on the show. We had some other kind of random, you know, friends of the of the show, so to speak, you know, guys that even Mr. Smith <clears throat> might know, like Mark Nemeldine, who's been a you know director in Hollywood now for a while, but he played Division three football, so things like that. And then obviously, you know, when the whole Ali Matt Marpet thing took off about five six years ago, that brought us a more national audience. But really, you know, I'll give Frank the credit to the expansion of us to being a more national platform because his idea to take us from pure audio to an audio video combination really opened us up to a whole broader audience because there's really not a lot of video anywhere on small college or niche sports if you can incorporate that in any way and I'll let Frank talk to the, the technical aspects of it but that really kind of opened us up to a huger national audience than I would have ever anticipated yeah I you know the one thing I'll say and I think you know this podcast is going to be geared more toward you know trying to figure out how to you know grow and you know find the niche and succeed the niche especially in podcasting uh, podcasting is nothing but a niche type of situation that's what <laughs> made it exist because really if your topic was that nationally broad and interesting to the masses you would have been on tv or radio by that point in the late 2000s especially now the you know going through the early 20 teens and to now it still hasn't changed in that respect you need some sort of niche not everybody's joe rogan okay joe rogan basically was popular and then decided to start a podcast what most of us are going to be doing is the reverse we're going to be starting a podcast and you know essentially trying to find a topic that is interesting enough to people and if we do that well then you can start to figure out how to broaden it out. And so after the first, you know, eight, nine years of doing it, I think we felt a few things were going on. One, we were good at what we were doing. The people were, you know, respecting us enough. We went from live to pre-recorded so we could edit it. It was a better product at that point. We still had the guests on, but we could, you know, we didn't have to settle them down at seven o'clock on a Sunday, which was always a tough time slot to get people to call in on and, you know, interview them on. And there's a certain trust factor too that uh, could happen that we could edit those interviews if need be once we went to pre-record. So once we made the product better in the niche, we started to see our numbers go up and then go down a little bit because guess what? 
it's a niche and so certain things happen with that niche and it will go up and down in terms of its popularity levels then the livery league was going to drop to six teams in 2017 and jb and i really stood at a crossroads the the decisions were just hang it up you know we had a great run or still do six teams which was a little bit tough now you're really starting to go hyper niche on that situation or broaden it to the east region and we had started to dip our toes as he said into broadening it toward east region and more national based stuff with decent reception in doing it so we said let's go all in and go all east region which is about 70 schools it's the biggest region in division three football before they start toying with you know maybe adding regions and redistributing the teams and all that but currently it's the biggest region we'll figure out what to do with it when they do add regions later on but it allowed us to become more than just a podcast and i'm having this argument with wikipedia as we speak right now because they're trying <laughs> to get us an entry we're really a media outlet thanks to what jb has done because the podcast was pretty much the the number one ship in the fleet but then he started going twitter based which i used to think twitter was the devil and i still do to a certain degree <laughs> but for sports i think it's a great thing to have alongside the podcast and now we are delivering news on a daily basis especially during covid this was something that we were doing we were kind of a go-to for a lot of people we were getting tens of thousands of views on our stuff throughout covid because of what we were doing for it and most shows we've ever done in a short period of time but now we've become a news gathering organization that happens to have a podcast and so we kind of have reversed it but it took 12 years to do it yeah right. and some of that and some of that news gathering was kind of a it, it was an evolution over time because although we were initially an audio only you know liberty league focused podcast you know frank through some relationships in the ncaa helped us I mean, we were really the only media outlet back then and, I, and we had a streak there running until of course the the ncaa canceled the fall championships but every year since 2008 we interviewed the chair of the of the championship selection committee for the d3 playoffs and based on the way that's structured i mean there's a lot of automatic bids but there's always at least anywhere from five to six depending on the year you know other i guess you know at large qualifiers and that was always kind of a big controversial thing among the d3 fans maybe not to the national audience but it was certainly a very newsworthy thing and i think that's kind of how our whole like more news media element started was because of that relationship having those you know chair people on and and kind of getting into you know the process and how that works and i think we've actually helped i mean i know it's helped educate me <laughs> there's been a lot of fans now that they they, they kind of understand the you know, the you know the science behind the art of, of these you know, picking these tournaments and so on well the one thing that i am uh thinking a lot about as we as we kind of get started in our in our station is is like i'm constantly hitting refresh how many people have listened to the the podcast that we did last week or downloaded and then we have the our library of music that that we've collected over the years just playing on a digital internet station stream just on shuffle and it's like two and a half weeks of of music just playing shuffled and and i keep going to to see how many people have looked at it since i last left and I keep reminding myself every time I hit refresh that's probably of you and I'm driving my own numbers up and it's not <laughs> very accurate but you know how how much should we be worried about numbers 
is is it helpful? Do you do you just go and and be passionate about what you're doing and not care about it, or is it helpful in in seeing where you should adjust and and re reposition yourself? I'm going to say that you shouldn't be worried as much about numbers as you should be about trends. Your, your number is going to be low uh, to start, no matter what you do, okay? They've got to find you. And the trend is going to help tell you, basically, if you're doing a good job finding them or helping them find you in the whole situation. Early on, our numbers were hot because we were the new guy in town, but then it would settle down for a little while. And it gave us the ability to say, okay, let's see how we trend this season and take the season as a whole. Don't take one day or one week or one month even as an indicator because things change, storylines change, but you can definitely base things on trends. And then after a season for us, we take a step back, look at it and say, that was a great season or we're satisfied with those numbers. And even when we went to video, we knew we'd have an initial pop and then stop a little bit, but our numbers have actually carried through pretty well from that, which indicates to us trend wise, that video was a good choice for what we did in 2017. And now, you know, three years into it, essentially doing it that way. So don't, don't become, they say, don't weigh yourself multiple times a day because you're not getting the full story of what your weight is. Same thing with your uh, statistics and you know uh, all the different Facebook this and uh, numbers that and all these uh, different stochastics you can run on this stuff. Don't do it to yourself. Take a look at your trends. That's the <laughs> best advice I can give you and take it from there because if you're not getting the pop that you're expecting over a long term, then you, change your approach on how you're going after people and helping them find you. So I'm, I'm curious to ask you guys too, did you, did, did COVID at all play a part in like, how have you, how, basically how have you guys dealt with that? Like from what I understand, most of the D3 schools didn't have a season this year. So how have you guys dealt with that? That's the kind of the irony. I think that, you know, although we have sort of predicated ourselves being a show on D3 football, we probably had our biggest ever season in the season where there was no football played whatsoever. The The topic of COVID and the fact that I think all but, was it five schools, Frank, didn't play? Um, six. Six. So six, six schools, five games. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And normally in a regular, D, to put this in perspective, normally in a regular D3 season, there would have been about 1,200 games and there was, you know, way less than that. <laughs> I think the fact that we were, and we were kind of out, you know, we were out there in front of it and, you know, some of our initial opinions, I don't think people cared for right off the bat. We were focused more on, you know, how do you find a way versus the you know, kind of the opposite message, which was what was being, you know, sort of bandied about early on. I mean, eventually, and unfortunately, and this is part of what we had to report on was the the D1 schools really predicated, you know, set things up in a way that it made it impossible for Division Three sports to happen and kind of continues to do so. I know that there are some schools that are trying to get some winter activities off and running, but I think that's going to be uh, more the exception than, than the norm, unfortunately, for a while. One of the things that you learn in this process is how valuable your relationships are uh, when it comes to, you know, just talking to people in the fields that you're you know putting your subject matter out on uh, all the time for us 
what we were doing in terms of the messaging early, early on, which is find a way to play, find a way to play, hang in there, so don't make you know knee-jerk reaction decisions and stuff like that, actually played very well to folks that mattered in the realm of Division Three football. Now, the NCAA didn't care for a lot of the things we had to say, and I'm sure that that's going to affect this down the line in terms of any cooperation we get from them. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. You know, they've gone through a lot of furloughs and cutbacks and things like that there that maybe actually some people that remain there are like, yeah, well, we can't do that ever again or we can't be in this position ever again. And maybe we were right. Frank and James, that is, is the we in that case. But what it did was we were starting to get phone calls and texts and emails and everything from people that mattered in the circles that were feeding us the information that they wanted to get out there. There was factual information. We could check it and we did before we would put it out there but it was basically stuff that said there's a video that uh, came out in late july that i did on twitter and it essentially predicted the end of the division three football season as we knew it that you know, all but 20 percent of the teams if not less would uh, be gone by a certain day july 31st that the championship would be canceled and that it was going to happen at a very rapid pace from that night and that was a friday night kind of the Black Friday, we call it, of Division Three football because that video got 11,000 plus views on Twitter alone. It was in other places as well. And people out West that uh, I knew that didn't know my affiliation with Division Three sports, but were you know involved like referees and whatnot, were hitting us up saying, is that you in that video? I didn't know you were this involved with Division Three. <laughs> and so it caught some eyeballs and some ears for sure, but that's the relationship breeding that you can do because you may not be the most popular person in some of the positions you take or things you discuss, but people are listening and watching more than you think out there. And we still get that information to this day from certain people. They turn to us, call us, and let us sort of know what we're doing right or wrong or what we're saying, if it's right or wrong, or details that we need to be ready for. That's how we had pretty much an exclusive on the Secretary's Cup game at Merchant Marine between uh, Merchant Marine and Coast Guard, which was the final game of the Division Three season and the only game played in the East region this year because they valued how we approached it as kind of a let the guys play if you can find a way. And that's what you know really resonates, I think, right now more than anything else for a lot of people. Right. I, I picked up on what you said, James, about D1 not, not setting D3 up to have a season. And I'm, I'm curious about that because I – I haven't obviously heard much about that. So can you kind of explain that both for me and those that are listening? Our, our two moms. <laughs> our two moms that are listening right now. We figured we have them listening. That's it. But All right. yeah, explain it to them. Well, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think Frank knows, knows this even better detail than I would. But at the very high level, you can basically, I like to joke around and say you can blame the Big Ten because they initially were – trying to set up things with regard to liability waivers and the amount of testing and so on. And so as the as a resident Harvard lawyer, I'm going to pass it off to the counselor below to explain in layman's terms what all that stuff really means, because ultimately those two things were, were the death knell for D3 because of the cost and the insurance risk. I mean, no D3 institutional president, even one, you know, at like, a, I mean, you guys, I know you feed to the, the IVs and the Patriot League and the NESCACs of the world. Those college presidents, even with those huge endowments, do not want to take on that kind of risk. It's just, it's just too much at a D3 level. 
Yeah, so the NCAA had set up guidelines initially that were really more D1 focused guidelines in terms of the quantity of testing, it just the 72 hour rule alone, you, you couldn't get results in 72 hours in a lot of these states in the first place, but you had to take the test inside 72 hours before a competition. These are guidelines, not requirements, mind you. And the liability waivers were something, just general responsibility for costs for students that got COVID through athletics related activities, which is tough to prove obviously, but it was in there. And these were things that the Big 10 and Pac-12 players sort of united to start pushing and those conferences gave in on immediately. So you fast forward a little bit and a lot of teams had already gone by the wayside division three. So there was still some hope that we would get some level of play in division three at that point. Then suddenly the guidelines from the NCAA became requirements. You couldn't sign or couldn't force a student athlete to sign a liability waiver. And that is a huge, huge problem for a division three school because they have to self-insure at that point in a way that they're not geared to do, or at least most of them are not geared to do. They're small private schools for the most part in division three with certain exceptions, obviously. Wisconsin, for instance, uh, the entire conference out there is uh, nothing but their public schools. And the uh, Empire 8 has a bunch of uh, SUNYAC schools, uh, what we call them in other conferences. But the, it was the death knell. For whatever was left out there, like the American Rivers Conference had adopted their own testing ideas that were they felt safe and probably were based on some of the Iowa uh, leagues out there in the high schools that were using them. So they thought they were good to go. And then suddenly those guidelines became requirements for testing in this manner, these hours and everybody, and they couldn't afford it either. And so now you're looking at true costs with the testing plus risk costs with the liability waiver issues and the costs that could follow with that. No Division three could even bear that. Look, the Big Ten almost didn't play and the Pac-12 almost didn't play because they couldn't bear it, they felt. And then they took a step back and realized there were things they could do and got rapid testing access and stuff like that. Stuff that Division Three still can't get to this day in, the, in reality. So that's what really happened there. We started seeing a dip in Division Three. We probably were at a 40% left range, 30% maybe at the point where the guidelines turned into requirements and they basically took the rest of the dominoes down with it at that point. Yeah. What's the talk of any chance of D3 spring football. There's there's some D1 AA programs, UNH, they have a spring schedule. You know, is that, is that in the talks for D3 football? Uh, yeah, in certain places. There are conferences like the American Southwest where Mary Harden Baylor, one of the top division three football programs is, is, is based. The OAC, ironically, um, Union's home conference, one of the top D3 powerhouses, the PAC, which has schools like Washington and Jefferson and Grove City and, and so on. They have put out spring schedules, as has the, the Heartland Conference, which was one of the very few that actually had games, uh, schools like Trine and, and Bluffton and sort of that middle Midwest area. Frank and I are, are kind of skeptical that these spring games will happen for all the stuff that he just rattled off. I'll, you know, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, Frank, but I have a feeling that you know, until there's some form of either uh, vaccine or much, much cheaper testing and some changes to the liability language, it's going to be really hard for these schools to justify playing in the spring. 
Yeah, the best case scenario for a vaccine uh, situation is that in by March 31st, you may see about 150 million doses out there, but that's only 75 million people that are covered at that point, and it's going to be directed toward older first. And uh, you may not even see some of the younger get uh, vaccinated at all because of their lack of risk. The view of uh, youth is sort of, believe it or not, followed the Trump dicta back when about you don't have to worry about the youth as much. And it seems to be, based on how the vaccine situation is playing out, true. Now, what age you stop that at is going to be an interesting question if they're going to uh, try to vaccinate college students or not eventually. But the question still remains, what changes from the fall that would allow fall football to be played in the spring suddenly? And the answer is not much because there's not going to be enough vaccine out there, I don't think, to justify it. So the schools themselves have to become more comfortable that they can afford the testing, do the level of testing required, and that they can bear the risks still at that point that they didn't think they could bear in the first place in the fall. But some of the interesting problems you're also seeing is, for instance, the America Southwest Conference that JB brings up is almost fully in February going to play according to their current schedule, whereas other conferences start basically two weeks after the American Southwest Conference ends play. So there's not going to be any continuity in these schedules at all if they play at all. My prediction, less than half of the 248 or 246, I guess, remaining schools in Division Three will play more than one game or one scrimmage this offseason. They will use it as an opportunity for what they've always wanted, which was padded practices in Division Three in the spring, which is not usually allowed. You can't do pads at all, unlike in Division One, where you have the spring game and all that stuff. That's not the norm in Division Three. or not allowed. Now it technically is because of the rebalance of the calendar that they did and the allowances they are doing. And we've talked to, again, relationships here. We've talked to enough athletic directors and others you know, involved high up in schools to say, so are you really going to play? And we've gotten enough answers of, if we play more than a scrimmage, we'll be lucky at this point. Right. I, just another another question for you. So you talk about padded practices in the spring. Do you think that's something that can possibly stick? As a you know, because there have been things that have changed as a result of COVID, and then people were like, "Why? Why would we ever even just change them back? Why don't we just leave it?" Do you think that's something that'll stick around? Coaches have wanted forever, and so they're getting their wish here, and I have a funny feeling that as long as it goes okay, it's going to stick. That's one of the things that I think they were always close to allowing it, but went against it because of some of the schools uh, that wanted to focus more on academics than on athletics out there in Division Three. and there's plenty of those. They always seem to get the veto power to stop it from happening. Now, now that's going to actually happen, if it goes okay, how do you say no to it afterward? And so this is one of those unanticipated consequences of a horrific situation that might actually benefit these uh, programs. The the beauty of our conversation so far, we started with kind of launching podcasts. Now we're getting into what we all really want to talk about, which is D3 football. Uh, Ryan and I are sort of the production team behind the St. Paul's football team. It started out with with us streaming games and and Ryan doing play-by-play and me adding a little a little bit of color, and we realized that Ryan's voice and his passion uh, and his knowledge was so good that why are we just doing this for you know the 75 people watching online? So we pivot we pivoted and and turned his mic onto the the stadium speakers, 
and and plugged my laptop in and i stopped to be in color guy i just started playing music straight out of the 90s and people are like <laughs> this is great this is awesome we love it and so we we just we entertain the people in the stands and we and it happened at a time when st paul's was having a great football run we're currently in the middle of that run we hope hopefully the middle not the end <laughs> And uh, they haven't lost a game in, in, in three seasons. And they even played three games this year against some other New Hampshire schools. And, but Ryan's involvement as a student on the mic, I mean, the, the, the fans cheer for him in, be, in between plays and during timeouts. And so anyway, we want, we, we're football guys. We want to talk football. Can you guys explain a little bit to the growth of the D3 game? Have you seen it? from from the, the mid 90s the level of play improve the numbers of new teams starting up you know just the amount of resources going into the game at the d3 level ryan before uh, i let jb answer that question remind me later i want to give you some advice on uh, what uh, was just brought up by chris there a little bit and how you can parlay uh, certain things into a much more, uh, bigger and better thing uh, down the line because you're already doing great. So we'll hit, we'll hit that later. Uh, make sure we go tail back yeah, yeah. to that. All right. I would say, yes, by far, the, the, the kind of athletes that are being brought into Division three programs now are as strong as ever. I mean, there is certain challenges at the D3 level given the amount of money it costs to go to some of these private schools across the nation, but I mean, Frank's school, for instance, you know, John Adino, the former head coach of Union, one of the pioneers of coming down here to Florida to recruit kids up to upstate New York. Technology, the, the, the ability to stream games online you know, across the country, the amount of just importance that athletics has at the, at the D3 level, it's anywhere from, you know, 30 to 50% of the student body in certain, in certain schools. So that's really pushed the development folks to raise money. The stadiums have never been nicer. Uh, the fields have never been nicer. I mean, Chris, you remember what the Boz looked like in the 90s, man. That was the quagmire. And now it's this beautiful turf field with this huge, you know, grandstand behind it and all wired and everything. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole new game. And the, the, the growth of these different camps that happen around New England and the Southeast and, and out West you know, where coaches can go and recruit kids you know, in, the, in the off season, being in contact has never been easier. I mean, back in the, back in the day when I was looking at colleges, it was like, you know, you're sending handwritten letters with a VHS tape in the mail and you hope to hear back from somebody by the phone call a couple of weeks later. It's so instantaneous now. And the talent level really, especially with you know, the schools like Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor, who've gotten that national attention on ESPN kind of year after year has has made you know, playing division three football a little more uh, a little more interesting and enticing i think for recruits who typically used to have sort of a, a d1 offer or nothing uh, kind of mentality yeah and one thing that it's kind of like the dirty that people don't like to talk about but i think it's actually a great you know result of all this or cause of all this a lot of these schools, again, being these smaller, in many cases, Midwestern, you know, the majority of schools I call Midwest schools, besides the East region uh, being so big, you sort of basically have the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, the Midwest, and then pockets from there. That, that's, that's Division Three, in football at least. A lot of these schools were, let's say, not very diverse schools in terms of their student body. And what this 
game of football has allowed them to do is open up their diversity channels in ways that no other sport seems to be able to do for them. And it's made it a little bit easier for the upper levels to swallow to spend the money on making sure that they are able to get those student athletes to come play and to be good students and to you know basically show the country we do have a level of diversity at XYZ school and we're excelling in that respect. That was one of the things that I think Mount Union playing on the national scale that they were people were starting to ask the question, well, why are they so good out of nowhere? Because Rowan, when they were doing what they were doing in the 90s especially, everybody's big dirty on them was that they would have a bunch of D1 transfers coming through, and that's why they're doing so well. And sure, Mount Union has some of that too, but what Larry Karras was able to do, and you know, he was really the pioneer of this, I would say, he was recruiting the Floridas, et cetera, way more than anybody else because they had the resources to do it at Mount Union and building that diversity in this small school in Alliance, Ohio. And if you've ever been to Alliance, Ohio, let me tell you something, don't blink because you'll hit Canton when you blink. That's how basically small that area is. And I'm not trying to make fun of it in that respect, but that's how a lot of these division three areas are. And the school drives the area because it's that small around it. And so, you know, they live off each other very well and they should, and it's good for them in that respect. But the whole point is that they used that recruiting to create a diversity in a school that didn't have that diversity in the first pl- first place and the football program excelled and the school got a better national profile because of it ultimately and i think that's what you're seeing still going on across the country jb I, i'm going to throw this back to you let's think back to the reactions we got when occidental canceled their program and we had a diverse group of students that we heard from four students that we ran video messages from afterward and you and I were kind of affected by uh, the first one we had gotten in about you know just the diversity creation the football team did out there yeah I know it was a young man I think from 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 Georgia I believe who was either a junior or a senior and he probably wouldn't have even heard of Occidental and and right outside of Pasadena California necessarily if it wasn't for for football and one of the things down here in the southeast that's now, kind of interesting or ironic or whatever, there are there really is no D3 presence down here. It's all major D1 schools. It's the UF, it's the Florida States, it's the Georgias. There is no real opportunity. Miami. Uh, <laughs> France, Miami. <laughs> um, you, right there. So there are a lot of very talented high school athletes down here that really, I mean, for, for the most part, they don't think they really have any options to, to play in college unless they are at that, you know, E1 power five type of level. But the reality is that there are tons of division three colleges where they can go, they can get an excellent education. And, uh, and yeah, it's just the, it, it's, it was a shame to, to hear these, you know, these poor kids from Occidental have been through so much that, that basically have the school just flat out give up on them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to definitely affect their, their, their admissions, their student profile over the next couple of years. And, and, uh, you know, one hand, though, I'm sure the administration is just going to stick to their guns, but it's just to feel, you know, a lot of these kids, some of which are from Southern California, you know, they, they're not going to be able to transfer and play at USC or go to, you know, UCLA or anything. It's their their careers have, have abruptly ended. Now, when you guys talk to D3 coaches, do you find that they are constantly fighting that 
D1 only mentality. I know that's something that, I mean, I'm no athlete myself, but. Now, now there's this whole D3 thing of offers. It drives me nuts. It is a sore subject because yeah, it is something we hear from a lot of coaches about, you know, that they're, that a lot of kids are constantly look, they're looking for offers. And now there's this whole concept that in order to compete with these D1s, the, the D2 and D3 schools have now started offering students at D3 level. An offer is the equivalent of saying like, <laughs> hey, we like you. And if you come here, you'll be on the team. <laughs> we can't say you'll be admitted or if you'll get any financial aid or any of that, but you know, we, we want you. And so then, you know, they make a little graphic, they put it on Twitter and they like, I, I, I've been offered by so-and-so college and there's a uniform and a makes them feel good gets retweeted and, and it, it, it pumps their ego up or something like, Oh, I got my third offer from so-and-so university. That's uh, not a guarantee. You're going to get into school. It's not a guarantee. There's going to be any help if you need it. It just, it, it is definitely a challenge. Coach Russell at Norwich, especially on Twitter is very, very, a very strong voice of, of kind of reason out there saying like, come on, this is ridiculous. Uh, it's like, look at the, look at what the school offers not what you know some quote-unquote piece of paper says oh yeah you, you'll have a roster spot i mean You'll see that crash and burn over the next three to four years. I have a feeling, though, once enough student athletes go through the process, when you know, starting when they were like 13, 14, 15 years old, and then realizing it was not more than a piece of paper, uh, and uh, that's it. You just have to have to you have to have enough bad experiences before it'll just wipe itself out ultimately. But Division One caused this because Division One was starting to do these types of things, and Division Three had to play catch up. So yes. There is a problem that coaches have experienced with this Division One mentality or scholarship mentality that's out there. And Division Three becomes the last resort because for those that don't realize, Division Three is not there for athletic scholarships. And so, you know, you have a big choice to make. Are you going to really just take the financial aid and the uh, academic scholarships that you can get at least? Or are you going to try to, you know, get in and get a free ride in D2 or D1? But the thing is this, there is a middle ground out there that's a D1 FCS or D2 non-scholarship opportunity. And so it isn't like this huge cliff. Usually you're going to know who's your D1 scholarship type player and who's not. Who's more of your D3 type player that will excel at D3. So I don't see a huge problem there. But at the same time, there is competition, at least when you're looking at the younger set that don't know yet if they're the next, you know, Desmond Howard in Michigan or if they're the next Pierre Garçon in Mount Union, perhaps. Yeah. And just to sort of, you know, kind of wrap this up, it was interesting actually earlier today, Kevin DeWall, the, the head coach of Hobart, was basically saying that, you know, even though now with because of COVID that, that a lot of these one or D1 FCS type of schools will have expanded rosters. And so they'll be able to offer more walk-on opportunities. It doesn't necessarily mean for the student athlete that that, you know, opportunity or school you know, is really the best choice for this, for the student athlete. And there are, there are, could be guys that may have the, you know, a D1 FCS level of talent, but they can get a much better education at a lower cost because of academic scholarships or other, opportunities get more playing time you know when i think of when i think of some of the some of the student athletes who's covered in division three like could they have played d1 absolutely i mean 
they're definitely good enough. But a lot of them, you know, went went the D three route, have gotten amazing, you know, career opportunities. You know, some have graduated with some debt, some haven't. You know, it just depends on the situation. But in most cases, I think all of them would say that the you know, the better opportunity to play, the better resources, the better, you know, faculty interaction, the coaches interaction. They're just they weren't just some you know, guy on a roster of 250 kids. Yeah. And I think that's an important message for, for us to hear. And, and Ryan who navigates the, our campus with this, our football players and our athletes who, who are getting these sort of, you know, the, the tweets with their uniform and, and Hey, I committed. Well, until you get that big thick envelope from that school, you're not in, but also, that idea of yeah, we've had some 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 players from football in this conversation go D one in the last few years, the UCLA, Boston College, you know D one AA, but a lot of a lot of them are off in the D three ranks. And every year, as as administrators and coaches and advisors here, <clears throat> the adults are having those conversations with our student athletes. Like, don't sleep on D three; these are yeah. amazing places. You're gonna have an, an amazing education. They have wonderful financial aid and, you know, they're the best schools on the planet. So, you know, keep, keep your eye on it. And, and for the most part, the, the kids listen and they, they, you'll see our, our alumni dotted all over the D3 rosters that you guys are seeing more and more. I, I'll, I'll point out a story. And I was just talking to him yesterday, actually, Nick DiCarano uh, from Endicott. He was a kicker. We had him on during our COVID series, basically back in uh, March, April, because he was an NFL prospect, honestly, and he had his essentially whatever pro day he was going to have wiped because of COVID. But much like a lot of Division three guys out there that had pro days scheduled, gone. Here's a guy that basically is lucky he was walking after some of the stuff he went through, and I won't, you know, take away from you going back to look at that show back in uh, March, April. But his story is like, holy cow, how did he even play the game of football after what he went through with soccer and everything else? And he did, and he can, he can kick the you-know-what out of that ball. And the one position, our friend Coach Isernia at RPI, Ralph Isernia, we were talking about Andrew Franks, who made it to the NFL from RPI as a kicker, played for the Dolphins for a couple seasons, then played for the XFL before it got scrubbed because of COVID. But the reminder was, hey, there are two positions on a football team that really aren't affected by whether you're Division One, Division Two, or Division Three. If you've got the skill, you've got the skill. Punter and place kicker. Because your leg is your leg. And as long as the guys up front are doing their job, you can kick that ball through the uprights, you're good to go. And so <laughs> for a guy like Nick, he had the opportunities and the exposure at Endicott. And who knows what would have happened if not for COVID. Look, everything happens for a reason in life, and that's the thing I was talking to him about yesterday. He's got a good plan B together. He's still going for his PhD-type studies and whatnot, and he's trying to get the plan B together, but he's also possibly got a pro day coming up still. A year late, basically, but he still has it coming up. And so don't think that you are locked out of possible opportunities down line. Don't expect them at Division three schools. But understand that people will see you. There is enough huddle material and whatnot online to get seen. And folks like us try to find the guys that we think are those guys and try to present them out there so that, you know, maybe we can give them a little bit more exposure. 
and Ryan, here's what I want to go back to that we were going to uh, talk to talk about earlier that I said remind me, but I, I, here's a good segue you to what yourself. I think. <laughs> yep. What you do and what I, what I've done in history, I was a Union College broadcaster since 1995. This is my 25 year anniversary, and my voice is cracking just thinking of how old <laughs> I am from that. But back then, I had a lot of bravado, and was creating a persona of sorts and people didn't always like it. And trust me, they still don't, some of them. <laughs> but the biggest thing you do, is, or the best thing you can do, is create the persona so that people associate you with a certain level of legitimacy out there. And you know that you're a go-to of some sort in this niche or whatever you wanna call it. But always use the persona for the betterment of other people. Putting the spotlight that you'll temporarily take for one moment and putting it on the student athlete because somebody may be watching to see what you're up to and get to learn about the student athlete that you're interviewing in the other box or whatever you want to call it at this point. That's where you can be special. That's where people begin to realize, yeah, he's a big, you know, whatever they want to call you. And, (laughs) but at the same time, they can't take away the fact that you're doing good things for, in our case, division three. You know, JB does give me some street cred because he he's a much more even tempered, even keeled guy, and so he, you know we we create that balance effect. But at the end of the day, people began to, especially this past year, fully understand what I was about, what JB was about, what the show is about, but what the bravado was about was that we wanted to use it for good things, not to hurt people, but to help people in our realm of Division Three. So whenever you feel like the spotlight is on you. Do what you can to make sure that spotlight is shared between you and this other person that you can highlight and then push it fully onto them to the degree you can while you, when you have that opportunity to do it. Don't shy away from some of the ability to get your name out there, but do it for the right reasons. That's a big thing. Yeah, and, and you're, you're going to take some shots. People are going to you know, try to go low on you a few times. But at the end of the day, what's really kept you know Frank and I engaged in this and why we, we're still very passionate about providing coverage to a sport that doesn't necessarily have a major you know, national media market or attention it are these, these moments where you, know, you, you get to see, you get to talk to these student athletes, hear their stories, and, you know, and we get these communications from the schools and their parents and their families and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the moms and dad. And, and they just, they, I mean, they know that what we're doing, we, we do this basically for, you know, on our own free time as it is, you know, and so we could be doing lots of other things, but we really enjoy this. And, and the most gratifying thing of doing this for the last you know, 12 or whatever years are those, are those simple, you know, just basic little acts of appreciation and just thank yous from from all the different you know people that we've that we've covered and we've got, and we've met so many interesting people and heard so many interesting stories and especially now that we've been removed from this for a while like you know I'm seeing some of these guys you know they're getting married they're having kids they're you know, like getting these great jobs and you know starting off on you know their coach a lot of coach I think the crazy thing is you know, some of our, some of the coach, some of the players that we used to interview way back when have, are like now in their fifth season as a head coach somewhere in Division Three. And it's like, how the hell did that? <laughs> you know, I don't feel at all. I'm like, oh my god, I remember this guy who used to be a player. You know, Jimmy Robertson, who was the the quarterback for RPI in in the uh, mid 2000s. 
He, he was the first guest on the show. And then now he's been the head coach at, at Fairleigh Dickinson uh, Forum for past few seasons. And he's doing a great job there. And, you know, guys um, like John Drock at Wilkes, you know, even, even Kevin DeWall, who was a longtime assistant head coach. And, you know, these other guys that we've seen over the years have moved on into, you know, different coaching positions. So it's been a lot of fun. Actually, I got to correct you on one thing, just because Jimmy may watch this. He's going to be first-time head coach. He's waiting to coach his first game coming up, but he was an assistant for a long time at Merchant Marine and then over at FDU Florham, like you're saying. And, you know, watching some of these would-be head coaches because they're a head coach in name but haven't gotten to coach a game, it would have to wait this out. It's been really sad to watch it but you know at the same time they're getting to know their team pretty well at least in the meantime they're gonna probably do okay when it gets to actual field time because they kind of know what they've got and have the good reputation with their, with their team by that point ryan has uh, become the most sought after person on this campus from all the other teams having nothing to do with football and to your point he doesn't like the spotlight and any spotlight do that's on <laughs> do him not. is because I'm, I'm holding it and pointing it on him, but he, he has taken his, his talents and his passion for, for sport and for media and, and brought it to soccer games. He, he called his first soccer game ever. He's called a field hockey game. He's, he's done play by play and, and he, his research, the reason why he hates when I text him is because it's going to, he's going to put six hours into a field hockey prep. You know, he's going to learn the game. He's going to, he's going to email the coaches of the yeah. opposing teams and say, Hey, can I meet you pregame to go over the pronunciations of, of your players? And, and, and so I think talk about fast forward five, six years, Ryan, the three of us are going to be celebrating where you <laughs> go next. We're going to have that, this moment, James, Frank, and I are going to be like, Hey, remember when we had Ryan on and look at him now and, um, and maybe I'll drink to that. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> there's a, a Jersey or something you get to send us. Cause it's going to be big, not the Jersey, the, the place that you're at, but uh, this was, this was a lot of fun guys. I, I really appreciate the time. I know everyone's busy, but I think for, for episode two and our, and interviewers, number one, interviewees, number one, this was uh, bigger than I possibly could have imagined. And, and when we hit episode hundred, we'll send you a plaque. How about that? We'll, we'll send you <laughs> something. And I'll certainly put some, some St. Paul's football gear in the mail to you guys and get that yeah. into your background. Sure. Well, you guys said need to tell us what color polo you want, uh, red, uh, blue, or white, and uh, your size. They run big, so uh, make sure you go to, uh, down, a, uh, down a size. But uh, we'll get you uh, polos uh, from in the huddle as well, because uh, you know what? We, we just started doing that. We realized we're big enough now with uh, a they few thousand great. viewers. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, they, they do. They look awesome. Ryan, don't shy from the spotlight. Embrace that spotlight in everything you do. Yeah, because when you embrace the spotlight, it will make you want to do better for yourself and better for other people. That's the biggest thing I can say to you. you don't shy away from it. You're already knee deep in it anyway. So you might as well embrace it all the way because Chris won't let you do otherwise. And, you know, when you want to do a podcast topic or something, it's going to give you a certain level of veracity and legitimacy right off the bat because you already have that spotlight. You're the Joe Rogan of your field right now. So go ahead and do what you want without the make screen. sure you do it well though. Yeah. Well, thank you guys, not only for taking your time out to, to talk to us today, but I feel like I've, I've learned a lot from you guys on a number of different things, whether it's podcasting or D3 football or just life. And I, I appreciate the advice from you guys and really all of it. Uh, great interview is when you learn something, I feel like so. 
I've learned a lot today. Thank you guys. You just have to interview alumni of upstate New York colleges. That's worth it. Speaking of colleges, Ryan, do you even have any schools on your radar yet, or are you still waiting on, on that? Uh, I'm He's going committed really to slow. 10 of them. No. <laughs> He's got offers. Got any offers from anyone yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't get the graphics. I want I want one of those graphics. I want, an, I want a fire edit, yo. I mean... <laughs> They'll give you a microphone with the school name in front of it yeah, and your right, name yeah, and yeah. Number, number, basically. Well, he's, he yeah. certainly has the highlight tape, that's for sure. We, we've got, <laughs> and maybe there's a, a huddle version we can, we can make here of, of Ryan, but his highlight reel is going to be pretty special. <laughs> Love to hear some of your stuff sometime, too. Maybe I can give you some pointers, especially in football uh, broadcasting, yeah. a little bit of basketball I do, too. But Chris is going to be a great resource for that, more than me, probably, at this point. But just keep doing it. And for everybody else that's watching this, understand that there is a place for you in cyberspace and podcasting you just have to be very careful and deliberate about how you go about it but when you choose to do it make sure you do it regularly so that you're not like guesswork as to when you're going to show up in their queue on itunes or whatever and do it with as much research prep and properness that you can because look you're trying to be a media organization of some sort by doing a podcast act like it that's all i can say and that's that's just Excellent advice. Excellent advice. And thank you guys. James Frank inside in the huddle, not inside the huddle, in the huddle, D3 football. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your time. Thanks guys. Thank you. So here's where we ended the podcast officially, but hung out a little bit longer with James and Frank. And we feel like we should add this content even though we were done because it was really good and there's a valuable lessons learned here from all of us, especially for Ryan. That was, that was great. Wow. Well, that, enjoyed that it. Went way longer than I thought, but at the same time, it <laughs> too. great. I mean, I, I wasn't, I mean, I was like captivated the whole time. I'm like, this yeah. is fun. So thank you guys. Yeah. And, and the advice and do all the things like what Frank was saying, I mean, ultimately the proof is in the pudding. Like we're, we really feel like, and it's justified just kind of what's been going on these last couple of years. Like we know we're on the right track and the feedback we're getting from the people at, at the, at these schools, the administrators, the coaches, the players, the families, et cetera, is, is affirmation. Like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe some of our takes won't always be popular or whatever, but the people out there appreciate what we're doing and that, that, that keeps us going. Yeah. Ryan, uh, I mean, take a serious look if you want to do broadcasting of any sort at the Syracuse Newhouse School or Ithaca, to be honest with you, because they do some top quality broadcast stuff out there. Got a couple of friends uh, that have their own second floor sports podcast uh, that I always toy around uh, in their comment section on, but they had me <laughs> on actually one time. Those are two quality schools that will help you refine the art that you're uh, involved in here. And if that's the route you want to go, I would say to you, those are two of the go-tos in this area at least uh, besides maybe like usc film school type stuff and whatnot that's out there so just take a serious look at those if you get a chance yeah i, I will for sure i i mean you hear a lot about i have some buddies that you know like to do this too i have one buddy that's at syracuse right now so you hear a lot about syracuse obviously but i, I haven't heard about ithaca i'll have to do some do some look look at that for sure look at their ictv work on youtube ictv for sure and you're basically making it like you are the highlights of the world right now, players, and they love you for that. And yeah. that's that's the thing, because, again, you're pushing the spotlight, even though you're being a persona out there doing all this kind of, you know, Michael Buffer-esque stuff on the <laughs> mic. 
and you're 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 delivering for them and that's that's what's huge that's what people have told us makes us special in their eyes uh, because we do it and I'll, I'll share a quick story with you guys before we run off when i was finished up at merchant marine academy again i was the only let's say aside from espn the only active person covering uh news 12 may have been there in some form uh, doing just some uh camera work and whatnot but for somebody to be there all day I, at field level i was one of the rare exceptions a couple of photographers that's it and so that was an honor in and of itself i had to get COVID tested to go on that campus and everything for that game so we're done we had a successful post game show i actually put a little boost behind on facebook the other day just to push it back out a little bit and getting great responses again very gratifying experience great clean it up player on crutches uh, or actually not crutches but he had a lay cast of sorts on but he didn't need the crutches anymore i think his name is james hutchinson from uh merchant marine and he's still on the roster because especially with a one game season they put everybody every senior right. especially in the roster and he's a senior and he came comes over to me you know hobbling over and he's like Mr. Rossi, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for our team in our uh, academy. And I'm like, wow, okay. And so I'm like, so, you know, how you feeling? You know, good, good, and not in the crutches anymore. Like, so what's next for you? I'm going to the Marine Corps next. I'm like saying to myself, you're hobbling over here. You're injured as it is. You were serving your country at Merchant Marine Academy. You're about to serve your country even longer in the Marine Corps. I mean, I should be thanking you. This should not be the other way around right now. And it's one of those moments you'll never forget because it is. It, it, you know, these service academies have formed great friendships with us because they know we focused on them during the shutdown and whatnot a few years back. But that experience, it just reminds you that you're doing the right things, that you're focusing on the right people and the right ways that you're doing it. And, you know, when I'm in a game and people are like, in the huddles, in the house, and stuff like that from the stands, you know, you don't turn around and identify to it too much. You wave or whatever and just, you know, be humble about it. But at the same time, you say to yourself, how in the hell do they know who I am uh, right now? And are they ready to throw something at me? Should I see cover or is it for the right reasons? And normally uh, it's the right reasons. That, that, that is really, that's a really awesome story. And yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the, what you guys do, that you guys do bring that kind of attention to. Because I've been there, you know, my, my dad's a hockey coach, and, like, whenever there's a, you know, some article author, you know, reaches out to him about an article, like, it's like, yeah, like, we, we appreciate that. So, yeah, totally. Well, listen, guys, I got to run on you. Yeah. But, uh, Ryan, if you ever need any uh, advice or you want to uh, run by some football stuff on me or whatever, Always uh, never hesitate. You know, JB makes the same offer to everybody. Yeah, for sure. Chris has got our cell phone number. So just, you know, text us or whatever, whenever, whenever you want to shoot the breeze about stuff, we'll be happy to do it. And, and great to see you, man. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. But it's yeah. cool that you're uh, doing so great up there at St. Paul's. And, and that's, that's, good. that's really something else, man. Cool. Yeah, well, it, the the power of social media, like, <laughs> I feel like I haven't left your side, the hallways of, of the dorms and at Hobart, but it, it uh, thanks. It's great catching up with you. Good to see you. Yeah, Frank, sure. awesome to meet you in person after years of, of of watching you online and listening to you. My brother played at Hobart, and you, you know we're we're big Hobart fans. But we, you know, you've made it possible to continue to be a fan after 
after school. So thank you. Better watch out. Honor. They might invite, they might have you, you know, run up there and talk to their kids about law school and <laughs> yeah. I, I never refuse an opportunity to provide any advice I can give. Just I, I wonder sometimes why they want me to be the one giving the advice because I, I maybe what not to do ultimately too. I, I don't know. We'll see. Guys, be well. Gonna yeah, uh, jump out. Cool. But thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks. Take care, guys. Bye. Yeah. I was. Those guys are great. Holy cow. Yeah, I. I mean, that's an easy reach out for me because I know James and sure, I follow sure. their stuff and I knew that he'd reply to my Facebook message and, and I knew they'd be good, but I didn't know we would spend an hour and 20 minutes talking to them about career advice for you or how to, how to improve life here on our students side. I thought we would just talk about how do I upload this podcast or how do I audio edit it? And we got into D3 football talk deeper than yeah I was prepared for, but both of us were like, oh, we don't want to go in too deep over our heads here. <laughs> but it was, how great was that? That was awesome. And the, 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 one of the telling signs, too, is they, you know, they hung around afterwards and, and chatted with us after the, the interview was over, which was a, a real compliment that, again, not only did they take their time out for the interview itself, but then they'd you know, hang out afterwards for about 10 minutes. And What Frank was saying there at the end, it, it, we, you do this work. I do this work here at St. Paul's. They do this work with what they're doing to help other people, to enhance lives, to make someone feel good. And, and these are every moment of, of advertising and media and being out there and, and talking about other people doing things makes them feel good or not, right? <laughs> it depends if you say <laughs> the right things or what team you're on. But th there's, there's something very, there's a good feeling in, in doing this kind of work. And I think they just, they summed it up all right there. And, and you never know who you're going to impact. You're never no. going to know who, who you're going to make a mark on their lives by just doing something. You don't think you're doing something big and special. And all of a sudden, you, you know, five years later, you get a Christmas card from someone and you know, the, that's the payment and all this. And it's, it's, it's the beauty of the way the world works. I know I, I, my friends always laugh at me because I'm always corny about, you know, stuff like that, but it, it, it it's true. It's true that the human interactions are what makes the, you know, not only the job great, but just, you know, the work that you do. And I, I feel like, you know, my favorite part of what I do here is, you know, working with the kids. Like that's, that's the best part, honestly, from working with you. Right. So it's, it's that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. That's the, that's the real reward for sure. Well, this is only episode two. I don't, I don't know how, <laughs> where we go from here. But what are we uh, going to talk about next time? You better have to tune in. You know, I might, I might be out of interview ideas here. <laughs> That's going to set the set the bar. But we'll 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 get up to the bars level. We've set it high, and, yep. and in the huddle, D three football. What a great what a great uh, group to interview first. And I think next week you're you're on the hook. You you have. To I'm on the hook. You I'm have on the to bring hook. in the guest. <laughs> It'll be tough. That'll be a tough one to match right there. But uh, yeah, thanks to those guys for, for joining us today. And uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Ryan, I, I wish you the best now that you're back in, in distance learning for <laughs> distance your, learning mode. your uh, winter semester. I think we have a weekly thing going here. And yeah. um, I'm looking forward to seeing 
what you do with with your spinoff stuff too, this little sports desk. And for sure. We'll get you in the studio to launch that. For sure. All right. I think that's it for this edition of the Murphy and Smith podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. Don't know what we have for you next week, but we're going to find out. Thanks for joining us today, folks.